Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. A show where we talk about people, places, and misfortunate events. Welcome to another episode of Fatal Fortunes. Today we're doing Whitney Houston. This is going to be a, a big New Jersey episode, so buckle in. Get some New Jersey representation here. Oh, I should have got um, my Taylor ham and pork roll. Yeah, but uh, Al, the thing is, Taylor ham and pork roll are the same thing. That's the whole debate in New Jersey. It's whether you call it Taylor ham or you call it pork roll. So you're just having double, <laughs> double, double meat. meat in whatever sandwich you're, you're concocting. <laughs> so Whitney Houston is born in 1963. And what's going on in that year? We've got... The U.S. Equal Pay Act signed by Kennedy. While he says that segregation is wrong and it is, quote, time to act. And this is happening at the same time George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, says segregation now, segregation forever. So not not really a lot of progress going on. Um, Until America's. Yep, that's just another day. We've got Valentina Tereshkova is the first woman cosmonaut in space. Wow. Um, Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool of her. We have Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech taking place in Washington. We have the musical version of Oliver Twist, Oliver premiering. Also in 1963, the first Boeing 727 flight. That's a... It's kind of a tiny plane by today's standards. But hey, they did it. 1963, hell yeah. Movies coming out. We've got Eight and a Half, Lawrence of Arabia, although like it was movies. technically late 1962. Doctor No and Russia with Love. Oh my god, James Bond overload. Um, Cleopatra. Two James Bond they, movies in one year? In one year. It's like, what the hell's going on? We've, we've literally wait like half a decade now. Exactly. They take their sweet time, but they had a good thing they thought going, and they just kept making them. Um, the movie Cleopatra also came came out this year. Oh, the Pink yes. Panther, and the debut of Doctor Who happens in nineteen sixty three. I wonder if any of that has aged well. I wonder if we watched all of that stuff today, mm. if we'd be like, okay, word, vibe, 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 vibe. Um, we'd say, Damn. Nope, none of them. I don't. Looking at the list, I'm pretty sure they all do not. So. Honestly, Doctor Who might be the safest bet. (laughs) (laughs) Music this year, the first Beatles album, um, and they premiere on Ed Sullivan. We've got Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire, Puff the Magic Dragon, the first Stevie Wonder album, uh, sorry, Stevie Wonder single when he's 13 years old, when he's little Stevie Wonder, they called him then. Aww. Big California news in 1963, Alcatraz closes its doors, hooray. But also, the L.A. streetcar service stops. Sad. Jomo Kenyatta is elected the first prime minister of Kenya. Also in 1963, we've got the first home video recording and instant replay machines coming out. And then in deaths this year, we've had Medgar Evers assassinated. We've got JFK assassinated. Also... Technically, Lee Harvey Oswald assassinated. These are all just deaths. Okay, no more assassinations, I swear. Robert Frost died. Sylvia Plath, Patsy Cline, 
W.E.B. Dubois, Edith Piaf, John Cocteau, Aldous Huxley, C.S. Lewis. They all don't make it out of 1963. Wow, but, that sounds like a big exodus of the creative forces at the time. Just But the future creative forces are coming in in tenfold in 1963. We've got Steven Soderbergh, Michael Jordan, Seal, Charles Barkley, Vanessa Williams, Quentin Tarantino, Graham Norton, Conan <laughs> O'Brien, Jet Li, Natasha Richardson, Mike Myers, Johnny Depp, Helen Hunt, George Michael, Lisa Kudrow, Fatboy Slim, Coolio, R.I.P., Elizabeth Shue, Rob Schneider, John Bryan, and Brad Pitt, all born in 1963. What a year. Houston's also born in 1963. Wow, who would have guessed? Who we're talking about today. That's how you can guess by the title of the episode. And remember to give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify. And you can watch us now on Spotify and see what's going on in the background of Al's videos. I know. I'm like, are you just going to sit there and be good right now? <laughs> if you want to see my dog, um, please yes, watch us on YouTube as well or on Spotify. Whitney Elizabeth Houston was born on August 9th, 1963 in Newark, New Jersey. She was born into what was then categorized as a middle-income family and was the daughter of an ex-army serviceman, Newark administrator John Russell Houston Jr., and gospel singer Emily Sissy Houston. Her older brother Michael is a songwriter as well, and her older half-brother Gary Garland was a basketball player as well as a singer. So a lot of music going on, and even more so the further out you get just from that immediate family. She's the first cousin of Dionne Warwick and Dee Dee Warwick, also legendary singers, and her godmother was Darlene Love, with an honorary aunt being Aretha Franklin. So she's got a lot of star power growing up. Like After if she had become a dentist, that would have been an anomaly. Oh, God. Out of left field. She's always on the road. Uh, from a very, very young age, but after the Newark riots of 1967, the family moves to East Orange when she's just about four years old. And her parents... What were those riots? Yeah, just like a cycle of poverty. Um, And the... It it happened, um, yeah, because of racial tensions. There was a cab driver who was arrested on wrongful suspicion, and shit, shit went down. Wow, yeah, she went down in Sounds like the original Rodney King. It's like every riot. You're like, hmm, wonder what happened. Oh, same shit over and over again? (laughs) But after after they move there, her parents do later divorce. Um, But because of this, I think she's mostly around her mom, although she is very close with her father. We'll see a little bit more of that later. But when she's 11, she starts performing in the Junior Gospel Choir at the New Hope Baptist Church in Newark where she also learned to play the piano. Her mother continued to teach her how to sing as she was a member of the group called the Sweet Inspirations. Whitney would sometimes perform at the shows that her mom was at, and she got to be exposed to the music of Shaka Khan, Gladys Knight, and Roberta Flack. When she was 14, she did background vocals for the Michael Zagger Band, and at the age of 16, she was singing for Shaka and Lou Rawls. Mm. She attended high school at Mount St. Dominic Academy in Caldwell, where she met Robin Crawford. I remember once I had a teacher who he said, he was like a really Christian teacher who was told to take his cross down in public school. He's, he's huh. that kind of guy, if that paints a picture okay. for you. Um, yes. But he said, what are the kids listening to these days? And I yell, Kanye West. 
Oh, God. It was um, 2014, I think. Damn. He said, yeah, yeah. I like Kanye West. I love his song with Shaka Khan. Because there's a Through the Wire remix with Shaka. Yeah. So then he yeah. paused the classroom to play it. Oh, my God. Because we decided to wrap up class a little early because it was also the same year that the Red Sox had won the World Series, so we had paused class early anyway to hear the fighter jets go by overhead. Oh, my God. Wow. So he's playing the song, and no one's, like, he's, like, just, like, tapping his foot and nodding, and, like, no one's moving in the classroom. (laughs) Like, you've never seen a group of individuals, like, enjoying music That not into music. Yeah. She notably hates that song. Uh, fun She fun does? Fact. Yeah. She's like, I don't like what? how I pitch my voice up. It sounds like a cartoon. I'm like, yeah. It does. It does sound Alvin and the Chipmunk-esque. Had Whitney Houston as a background singer once upon a time. Yep. And now Whitney's in high school at Mount St. Dominic Academy. And she meets this person, Robin Crawford. And they're fast friends. Robin would go on to be her best friend, her roommate, and assistant. And Whitney graduates in 1981, and at the same decade, she starts to model. She was one of the first women of color to be on the cover of Seventeen magazine, and Ooh. also appeared in Glamour, Cosmopolitan, and a Canada Dry commercial. In 1982, she signed with Tara Productions and began work on an album for a group called Material. Whitney uh, is on this album... And she covers a song called Memories. And her contribution earns a lot of praise from many critics, saying it was, quote, one of the most gorgeous ballads you've ever heard, unquote. In 1983, after seeing Whitney perform with her mother, Jerry Griffin convinced Arista Records to make her a worldwide deal. She didn't begin work on the album immediately, but in the meantime, she would record a duet with Teddy Pendergrass called Hold Me and would go on to be a top five R&B hit. That song would later appear on her debut album as well. Love Teddy Pendergrass. He's great. So, Whitney's self-titled debut was released on Valentine's Day in 1985. Rolling Stones called her the most exciting new voice in years, while New York Times called it an impressive, musically conservative showcase for an exceptional vocal talent. What does that mean? It's like a lot of words to say it's a fucking good album like that's all you have to say it's a really good album um and yeah they love their word soup Uh, yeah they 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 love using big words making it inaccessible um but it's it's widely received not just from critics and because of this she starts touring nightclubs and begins to perform on late night shows with johnny carson and david letterman it was hard to get mtv to make a move as they were historically very racist, but wow. eventually, they, I mean, yeah, they did not play Michael Jackson for the longest time. Like, Are you idiots. serious? Yeah. They didn't play Michael Jackson. He invented music yes. videos. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's called like, dumb. music television. He invents music videos. What? MTV eventually caves and show the video for the single Saving All My Love. And on MTV's decision, Whitney said, I love it when they have no choice. Because, yeah, like, same thing with Michael Jackson. They just couldn't say no at a certain point when all these fans are, like, supporting them. Like, why are you saying no to money 
because of these stupid ideals you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so Whitney loved that. Whitney loves that they had to play it um, because, yeah, a year after this album's released, it was still on the Billboard 200 albums and wow. singles stayed there for like 14 weeks uh, consecutively. So that album killed it. And by the end of 1986, she was the top artist of the year and her album was too. She's got the voice and it, it stays it stays all throughout her life. And it's, it, it's a powerful thing. And it is, because of that, the best-selling debut album by any solo artist. And in July of 1986, she launches her first worldwide tour where she performs in North America, Europe, Australia, and Japan, with the tour lasting until December. And at the Grammys, she took home Best Female Vocal Pop Performance for that song on MTV, Saving All My Love, and her TV performance on the song later won her an Emmy. In 1986 and 1987, she won a total of seven American Music Awards and an MTV Award. With Uh that album's popularity, yeah, right? (laughs) I love it when they have no choice. Um, And with that album's popularity, still holding strong to get her nomination for Record of the Year in 1987. So this opens the door for both Janet Jackson and Anita Baker. We'll hear more um, people who were inspired by her later. But in that same year, in 1987, she releases her second album entitled Whitney, and it was le- <laughs> it wasn't as popular. Uh, critics and their word soup didn't like it as much, but still had great commercial success with the single "I Want to Dance with Somebody." What a classic! And this makes her the first woman in history to debut at number one on Billboard. What? It took that long. She's also. It is. It's very embarrassing, but it's relevant because, like, she's the one who did it all. Um, And she did it with her singles to generate four number one singles on that one album. Wow. And um, now... Wait, and it got bad reviews? And Yeah, and it got bad reviews. Four number one singles. mm -hmm, That's right, yeah. Critics are so full of shit. They said it was like, oh, it's the same sound. It's like, it's been two years. Like, how, how much, how different do you want this to be? I'm still it's the same still person. It's still disco, honey. Well, they, yeah, these, these albums, they're, they're both really great. You should check both of them out. They're wonderful. And the second one that didn't get as much love, Certified Diamond, um, and now has sold 20 million copies worldwide. That song, I Want to Dance with Somebody, earned her a second Grammy, for Best Female Vocal Pop Performance in 1988, and in that same year, Nelson Mandela is still imprisoned, and Whitney's a huge supporter of him, and ending apartheid in general. And in her modeling day, she would not work with any agency that had ties to apartheid South Africa. That's my bitch. So, on June 11th, 1988, on his 70th birthday in prison, uh, she and many other musicians... 70 in the 80s? Yeah. I'm like... Dude, he lived a very, very long, very long life. Yeah. Um, I cried when he died. That was big because I had just finished reading the book Long Walk to Freedom. I was like, I just spent so much time with you and now you're dead. I feel that way about Toni Morrison. I read um, Paradise, I think it was. And then like a couple months later, she was gone. Damn. And also that documentary of hers came out like a couple months before. Nelson's Mandela... He's 70 years old, and um, Whitney and a few other musicians perform at Wembley Stadium in London to celebrate him, and they 
all raise over a million dollars to end apartheid and brought awareness to the matter in general. In 1989, Houston formed the Whitney Houston Foundation for Children, a nonprofit organization that has raised funds for the needs of children around the world. And it cares for homelessness, children with cancer um, or AIDS, and other issues of self-empowerment. Her third album, then a year later, after all of this philanthropy that she did then and continues to do throughout her career, this album is entitled I'm Your Baby Tonight, and it features Stevie Wonder, Luther Vandeross, and Babyface. The album was thought to be more urban, in quotes, and thus was still met with very mixed reviews. See, wrote, what? Oh, you hit 1990. The alternative of grunge is urban. Like, God, the contemporary, what was it? Like contemporary urban music that is still a thing in the Grammys or whatever. Oh, I think Get rid it of is. It. Still, on this album, you've got singles like I'm Your Baby Tonight and All the Man That I Need. They chart. And then in 1991, a year later after that album, she performs the Star Spangled Banner, which had some controversy because she used a pre-recorded track. She sang live, but because of the noise, and this is something that's still done to this day, they used pre-recorded vocals. But that cover that she did actually sing for the recording charted at number 10. <laughs> <Gorgeous. laughs> <laughs> the just, national see, anthem the thing is, charting like, this fatal fortune like there are some really really tragic things that happen obviously but at this point in her career when they're just all saying no she's just like fuck you i charted like i just can't <laughs> you can't stop me um so that's pretty awesome and with this cover doing so well she donates the proceeds to the red cross and it's considered a benchmark for singers everywhere this specific rendition of the song the cover was re-released following 9-11 and those profits went to firefighters and the victims and their families but back to the 90s later in 1991 she had an hbo special called welcome home heroes for the persian gulf war and hbo ended up making it free to watch which made it the highest rated program ever HBO i wonder why they never do They're that. like, oh, we love this. They keep giving us free stuff. This is our best program ever. I mean, she seemed to be very pro-U.S. Yeah. Um, and the True troops, to her New Jersey so. roots. She loves the troops, just like a good Jersey girl. Uh, I'm a different kind of Jersey girl. <laughs> On to uh, her personal life and more of the other mediums she delved into. During the 1980s, Whitney's hanging around some men like Jermaine Jackson, Randall Cunningham, and Eddie Murphy. But at the 1989 Soul Train Music Awards, she meets Bobby Brown. Three years later, in 1992, they were married, and they had their first child, Bobby Christina Brown, on March 4th, 1993. Bobby had some issues with drunk driving and substance use, so he had had some runs with the law, and that was more than once, unfortunately. This will come up again later, but for now, in 1992, when he was making it in the movies, specifically the film The Bodyguard, where she plays a star who is stalked by a crazy fan and hires a personal bodyguard played by Kevin Costner. Did you know Kevin Costner's from Compton? No, I did not. Compton, born and raised. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So with this movie, um, some fans smelled racism from a mile away as her image 
isn't really used a lot to re- promote this film, even though she's Stop. doing like all the work. She's a model. She's starring okay. in it. Okay. She's doing the soundtrack. No. Um, but this is maybe done to intentionally hide the film's interracial, interracial relationship. And the performance ended up er- earning her a Razzie nomination for Worst Actress. That's sad. Even though it wasn't critically acclaimed, though, still killed it in the box office. People went Charting! to see this movie. Charting! She, of course, did the music, right? Recording six songs for the soundtrack and the lead single, originally recorded by Tally Parton in 1974, and I'm sure most are familiar with, is Whitney's version of I Will Always Love You. Stayed number one on Billboard for 14 weeks straight, certified diamond, and the soundtrack became the best-selling of all time and won 1994's Album of the Year at the Grammys. Wow. And this movie catapults another world tour, the Bodyguard world tour from 1993 <laughs> to 1994. Did Kevin come along? Oh, that'd be so funny. I don't know. I did not look that up. And special guest Kevin Costner <laughs> what would he do would just stand there wave we've got a nice full circle event that happens uh, also in 1994 she performs at the White House to honor newly elected President Nelson Mandela I like that and at the end of that tour the bodyguard world tour she plays South Africa three times and portions of these shows were filmed by HBO with the proceeds going straight to charities in the country she starred in a few other films, including alongside Angela Bassett in Waiting to Exhale, and then with Denzel Washington, she made The Preacher's Wife. She was one of the highest paid actresses in Hollywood for a time, and all while still making soundtracks for these very films. However, a year after The Preacher's Wife premiered, Whitney suffered a miscarriage in 1997. This was reportedly the second miscarriage she went through with Bobby Brown, and in that same year, in 1997, um, something good that happened to her was that the school uh, in East Orange, Franklin School, was renamed to the Whitney E. Houston Academy School of Creative and Performing Arts. The personal life with uh, Bobby is, is not the best at this time. Um, like I said, they had gone through two miscarriages together. Um, so he is just like very emotionally abusive. And we'll see a little bit later that he is being physically abusive at this time in her life as well. So her fourth studio album, My Love Is Your Love, is released in 1998, which again peaked on Billboard with songs like When You Believe with Mariah Carey and Heartbreak Hotel with Faith Evans and Kelly Price. Many critics think that this is her sharpest album yet, and her tour of this album was Europe's highest grossing concert series at the time. Damn. Like I said, it wasn't all easy, um, all these performances, these pressure, the relationships, the personal struggles, it all comes to pass. And in 1999 and 2000, people started noticing a behavior change where she'd be late, cancel shows, and she lost a lot of weight. And her friends and family held an intervention in 1999, but it did not take. She got caught with half an ounce of weed at the airport in 2000. Happens to the best of us. The canceled shows were excused by her agent saying that she had a sore throat and the weight loss was attributed to stress and just not eating. Also in 2000, sadly, her friend Robin resigned from Whitney's managing company. Um, So you can see her her relationships are suffering and it seems Mm -hmm. that she is. And in 2001, um, like I said, that Star Spangled Banner performance has a second renaissance 
And then in 2002, a year later, she gives an iconic interview with Diane Sawyer. And this is where she talked about her marriage and her drug use pretty candidly. The lines about crack are probably what most people uh, remember from when she says, first of all, let's get one thing straight. Crack is cheap. I make too much money to ever smoke crack. Let's get that straight, okay? We don't do crack. We don't do that. Crack is whack. That last phase um, being a Keith Haring quote that was made few years before and in this interview she disclosed that she used coke she used weed and pills and that bobby didn't in fact hit her that she hit him this was the narrative that was being spun here um also i'm just remembering now that um you know this was a roller coaster of an interview um but another thing that was reported on by like paparazzi and press during the beginning of her career uh, in relation to Robin was that they were like intimate together and um, they denied, denied, denied. Um, But then years later, I think it was Robin who came out and said like, yeah, we did experiment a little when we were younger, um, but Whitney did not want to continue it because, because they were worried about her image and yeah, that's just wild to think about. But during this time, She's still releasing new music, still working in 2002. Uh, It's December, and she releases Just Whitney. And although it charted again, critics not as interested in Just Whitney. Uh, Maybe because of the personal things going on in her life. I know that that can have a a huge effect on whether someone pays attention to you or not. And um, how these critics see her and just devour her is uh, pretty disgusting. 2003, she makes another album. Um, that's met with a lot more acclaim. It's her first Christmas album entitled One Wish, and it charts. But that same year was when the Bobby Brown situation really came to a boil when he beat her um, pretty badly. And she still is championing him, like does not want to leave. They stay together. And he even made a, a reality show. And this was called Being Bobby Brown, which captured some very unflattering moments of Whitney. And the show was panned as being the, quote, most disgusting and execrable series ever to ooze its way onto television, unquote. It was not renewed for a second season. I wanted to say um, Bobby Brown made a lot of his first music at um, 27 Dudley Street right next wow. door oh i think i remember to... you telling me about people being like is this the music studio yeah because whatever an yeah. uber would drop me off at home they'd be like is this a house of hits and i'm like no it's right next door nope. which is now worth like it got newly assessed for like 4.4 million dollars the street bite right behind like dudley street bobby brown way aunt kim's impact nice. then there's a pause in whitney's life um she doesn't really give any real public performances after that show um except for i guess a major thing happening in that gap of time being her divorce in 2007 from bobby brown and her first tv interview happens seven years after that first one with diane and this is this is an interview with oprah where she kind of tells all she clarified that her drug use increased after the birth of her daughter and that the bodyguard wasn't happy by that point in time she said i was losing myself she told oprah she attended rehab but that her use still persisted and all that time bobby brown was emotionally and physically abusive 
When Winfrey asked Houston if she was drug-free, Houston responded, Yes, ma'am. I mean, you know, don't think I don't have desires for it. Unquote. After this interview, she released her seventh album in August, entitled I Look to You. This is, incidentally, the final album from Winnie Houston as well. Again, number one on Billboard. With this, she performs her first world tour in 10 years, the Nothing But Love world tour. This tour happened after all the poor press about her canceling shows left and right, so some fans walked out of her performances, and she did end up canceling a few during this tour. But in 2010, she also won an NAACP award for Best Music Video for I Look To You, and in May 2011, she enrolled in rehab again and was reportedly in the long-standing recovery process. Now, in that same year, she filmed the movie Sparkle in just two months alongside Jordan Sparks and Mike Epps. This was a remake of a 1976 film, and Whitney had purchased the rights back in 2001, with Aaliyah being originally thought for the role. Her last song, Celebrate, was used to promote that film, and it was officially released in August of 2012. But this was too late for Whitney to see it in theaters. Earlier that year, in 2012, people had noticed her acting more erratic. Notably, singer Brandy was one of the last people to see her alive, and she stated that she blamed Whitney's circle for not getting her more help, which is very fair. Whitney, you know, was still around people. She was not alone, um, but she was this night, and two days after that meeting with Brandy, she goes to the Beverly Hilton, where she checks in, goes into a hot tub, and that is where she is found the next day submerged. Whitney died on February 11th, 2012, and on March 22nd of that year, the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office reported that Houston's death was caused by drowning and the effects of atherosclerotic heart disease and cocaine use. An invitation-only memorial service was held for Houston on February 18th, 2012, at the New Hope Baptist Church in Newark, New Jersey. The service was scheduled for two hours, but lasted four. Houston was buried on February 19, 2012, in Fairview Cemetery in Westfield, New Jersey, next to her father, John Russell Houston, who had died in 2003. How close is that to where you live? Like a 15-minute drive. Oh, my God. You should go bring Whitney That's some the thing. flowers. That's the thing. I remember, like, yeah, I should. I, I remember when she died. Like, I wasn't really as into her music as I was now. Um, just because I didn't have any streaming services back in 2012. But I remember the onslaught of tourists that came to visit, uh, tourists and fans that came to to visit her grave. Um, It was just so weird to, like, think that this little town next to me is seeing all of this buzz. And the same thing is happening now with that Netflix show, The Watcher. uh, Have you been watching it? I saw it. Don't watch it. It's really bad. It's just oh, so, really? so bad, Al. It's horrible. Um, but people are going to the house and, like, taking selfies on the porch and, like, going <laughs> the... That's funny. And like, people <laughs> Sorry, live there. Funny. People that's live funny. there. So there's, there's like, cops outside. It's so annoying. I'm like, go home. You're so boring. There's cops outside? Show... Yeah, they We're have, We're paying like, public watching. employees yeah. to stand yeah. outside? That's Because really Netflix did this. So many people loved Whitney Houston, um, to name a few. Darlene Love, Dolly Parton, Brandy. I know SNL even, like, showed a photo of when she performed when you know. on SNL. Yeah, 
everybody, everybody tried to, you know, pay their respects as quickly as possible. And two hours, or sorry, one hour after the news broke, she got two million tweets um, about, about her passing. And in June of 2012, the year's McDonald's Gospel Fest in Newark was dedicated as a tribute to her. A television documentary film entitled Whitney, Can I Be Me? aired on Showtime on August 25th, 2017. Kevin McDonald, who along with other producers from the Amy Winehouse doc, Amy, made the documentary Whitney in 2018, which is pretty good. It's a pretty good one. Um, and she inspired so many artists with, with her, like I said, very powerful, very amazing voice. Um, like I said before, Anita Baker, Janet Jackson, Rihanna, Baby Rexa, Mariah Carey, and even her contemporaries like Madonna and Michael Jackson. Um, another like fun Whitney story that I recently heard was the sax player on Saving All My Love played the track without her in the studio. She had recorded her vocals already. And he goes in, plays his takes, and then a couple months later, he gets a phone call. And he's like, hello? And she's like, I don't think you know who this is, but I'm Whitney Houston. You played sax on my song. And I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. You, you did an amazing job. And he's like, you know, on all my years of, of playing on other people's songs, like very rarely does the artist end up reaching out and thanking me. So it, it just shows you like the special kind of person that Whitney Houston was and how much she really, really cared about music. And artists in general had a lot of respect for people of all different kinds of arts. In most recently, October 2022, Essence Magazine ranked Houston at number one on its list of the 10 greatest R&B solo artists of all time. And finally, I want to end with a quote from Faith Evans. She states, Whitney wasn't just a singer with a beautiful voice. She was a true musician. Her voice was an instrument and she knew how to use it. With the same complexity as someone who has mastered the violin or the piano, Whitney mastered the use of her voice. From every run to every crescendo, she was in tune with what she could do with her voice, and it's not something simple for a singer, even a very talented one, to achieve. Whitney is the voice because she worked for it. And that is Whitney Houston, wonderful singer, wonderful person, gone too soon, because I think she would have gone on to keep making number one Billboard hits. And giving like, back to as charity, the time goes for sure. By. And keeping up with charity, exactly. This was such a beautiful tribute. You know, I had come from a perspective of just knowing her gaffes. Um, mm. So I think that it was amazing that you highlighted all the good that she did. So thank you for listening to another episode of Fatal Fortunes. As always, I've been Nathan. I've been Al. And on Tuesdays, we talk ghosts. See you next time. Bye.